We have another song? Oh, there's no other song. Okay. Sorry, that's bugging me. I have to clean my mess. Pardon me for a second. It's a good thing it's a dark carpet. <laughs> no. Hmm. So this morning, I just want to. Um, the The message that I have is um, is not really a Fourth of July message. Uh, we're just going to continue, if it's okay, in our series uh, called Allure. And we've been in this series for a, a while now, and it's based from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. You know, our theme this year as a church is that we're sowing God's love both here and to the nations. You know, it's, I mean, God's, you know, the, the church is the only group of people that is here not for itself. You realize that? Like our success as, a, as, a, as an entity is judged not by how well we serve ourselves, but how well we serve others, right? Um, it, we're literally here for the world. We're not here for ourselves. And um, so that's, that, that's the heart of that theme, sowing God's love here. We're, we're here to represent him in our state and nation and to the world around us. And Jesus only has one plan, his plan is that he would so infuse his people that we literally are him. We walk as him in this world. And so his character would so influence you and me that, uh, that when we get around the people that we work with and we get around people at the grocery store or wherever you are, that people would say, hey, I, I, I want that. Like uh, Joe said it a number of weeks ago, I thought it was great that we're like, we're the free samples, you know? And that's the idea, that, um, that the world around us gets a free sample of what Jesus is like, and then they're supposed to want the rest of the box, you know? That's the concept. And so that's really the, the, uh, the heart of this series called Allure from Galatians chapter 5. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, that's the character of Jesus, that it's in you and me. And so the fruit of the Spirit, let me just start with, uh, with the verse again, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So that's the fruit of of the Spirit. Can you imagine somebody being too loving or being too kind? Like I said, there's no, there's no law that works against these things. I mean, this is Jesus. So this morning, we're going to focus on this concept of self-control. And I'm thinking about self-control. Like, self-control is, um, it's, the, it's the piece that sort of holds all these other pieces together almost. Um, you know, I, we gotta we gotta think outside the box a little bit. Typically, when we think of self control, we think about diet. I guess you know that tends to be a lot. 
I ate too much cake. I had no self-control, right? It's sort of a... And that's certainly, that's one aspect of self-control. Don't get me wrong. But let's think a little deeper than that this morning, okay? Let's think deeper than the bag of chips you downed last night before bed. And let's think about self-control in another way. Like, for example, what about God? Have you ever thought about the kind of self-control that God must have to exercise to be God? Like, he's the most loving, the most generous, and the wealthiest being in the universe. Can you imagine the kind of self-control it must take to keep him from spoiling the human race absolutely rotten? God is also a holy God, perfect, sinless. Do you understand how much he absolutely abhors sin? We, even the small sin, even the little ones, we think little. There's no such thing as little sin. It all offends the God of the universe. Can you imagine how much self-control it must take him to not just fry us all in an instant? And the Bible tells us that he's patient. He wills that none should perish. And that there's a sense of timing that God has. God has a plan that he's working, right? There's, he knows what he's doing, and he knows when he's doing it. Can you imagine the self-control it must take God to not just yank the plug right now, say that's it, out of the pool, we're done with this? And yet he exercises self-control to submit to his plan because he knows what he's doing, it's a good plan. Just think about it. We think, I tend to think, only think self-control in terms of, like I said, my Doritos, but actually God... God exercises self-control. It's a part of who he is as God, and actually it's a part of what makes him God. I'm thankful God has self-control, aren't you? Because I would be the one who got fried if God didn't have self-control. So we can thank him for that. So what is this thing? So now this God who has self-control says that The Spirit, you know, God the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in your life and mine is self-control. So what does that look like in your life and mine? If God who is self-control now lives in me, how does that get carried out on a daily basis in your life and mine? Self-control is a really important piece for you and I. It's a very attractive quality. Self-control goes, like I said, beyond chips and salsa. Self-control goes into um, parenting, uh, that you, know, you, you do what's right because you know that that's what's right, even though there's an extreme amount of pressure to cave and to, to go easy or to not discipline, right? Um, Self-control leads you and I to, to manage finances, to make financial decisions, right, uh, that are wise, even though every bone in our body just, oh, just charge it. I know I could do that. Self-control. Um, self can, it's just on and on and on and on it goes. Self-control is the quality that keeps you and I from imploding. That's what it does. 
So let's talk about it. How do we have it? And what does it look like in our lives, this fruit of self-control? I'm going to make a statement that sort of is the foundation for the whole thing, and that's this, and then we'll explain it. But the statement is this. It's my appetite for God that keeps all of my other appetites in check. Because my, my life, had, I have appetites, and you have appetites. And those appetites aren't bad things. God actually created us with appetites. It's a, it's a good thing. When you don't, you know, when my kids were little and they weren't hungry, that's a sign that they were sick, right? They, they lost their appetite. Oh, no, what's wrong, honey? Something must be wrong. So an appetite is actually a good thing, and a loss of an appetite is a bad thing. So we don't want to at all um, poo-poo appetites, right? But we need to recognize that I have a lot of appetites. And so my appetites come in three areas. I have a body, a soul, and a spirit, right? All, all of us do. You and I are made in the image of a triune God. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are also made in His image. You are body, soul, and spirit, right? And each one of those parts of your being has appetites that desire to be filled. My body has appetites. I, I, I get hungry for food. I get thirsty. I need to sleep. I, um, um, sex, uh, exercise. These are appetites that we've got, that our body has. And then my soul also has appetites. My soul has an appetite for love. My soul has an appetite for belonging. It wants to be a part of something important. My soul has an appetite for, um, for meaning and purpose. You know, something that goes beyond just getting a paycheck every day. I, meaning and purpose. My life counts for something. That's a soul need that you have and I have. God created us with that. It's ambition. Ambition is not a bad thing. It's just unholy ambition is a bad thing. Ambition, like any other appetite, works like this. What happens when any one of those appetites takes control? You and I are destroyed, right? By themselves, they're not bad. But when I begin to feed that appetite in the wrong way at the wrong time, don't they have timing as well? If I feed them in the wrong way at the wrong time, too often, that appetite can literally destroy me. Have you ever known someone destroyed by their appetite? We sure do. We have examples of that. We, we've got support groups for that. We have, I mean, there are, you can find plenty of examples. You don't even need to look far of ways in which our lives can be destroyed if I'm feeding and feeding and feeding my appetites when my appetites control me and I don't control them. But then there's a third appetite that you and I have. The first two, the body, the soul, but then there's also your spirit. And your spirit has an appetite. It's an appetite for God. A thirst and a hunger for eternity. The Bible tells us that God has placed eternity into the hearts of men, but we cannot fathom it. There, and we go in search of that need. And every world religion, every uh, cult, you name it, is a, is a desire, it's a quest 
to try to, we fill the need all kinds of wrong ways. True? I mean, like if I'm for physical, if I'm physically hungry, I really need to eat good food, but I can fill it with Doritos. True? So, spiritually speaking, the same thing. I can fill my spirit with Doritos. His name is Buddha. I, I, not to be politically incorrect, or you name it, any false god, name one. They're all the equivalent, the spiritual equivalent of Fritos, and you can dine and dine and dine and dine on them, and they will not satisfy. But my spirit thirsts for God, for intimacy with the God of the universe, right? That's my spirit. Now, have you ever noticed something about your spirit Your spirit is probably the quietest of your appetites. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, when I'm hungry, get out of my way. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. When I'm tired, I've been known to fall asleep in the middle of conversations. You're like, oh, we lost Doug. Yep. (laughs) He's on the couch. Why? Well, my need for sleep just took over, and this conversation I've checked out. Right? Because you're so, it's amazing how your body and love, oh my goodness, we go, we even have the old country song, Searching for Love in All the Wrong Places. You know, we, we go looking for it. Are the, so those appetites are loud. But have you noticed that your spirit's appetite is probably the quietest appetite that you have? It seems to be the least demanding of the appetites that you have, but yet it's the most important of the appetites that you have. And I say, that's why I say this, it's your appetite for God that keeps all of your other appetites in check. And that's why the fruit of self-control is absolutely essential for your life and mine. The Bible tells us that like a city whose walls are broken down, is one who lacks self-control. When a person lacks, you, lacking self-control, you implode. You, you tear down all your walls. You're defenseless. You're exposed, right? And so self-control is essential. I just have two Bible verses that I want to look up, and I apologize to our video people. This is not their fault. It's my fault because I'm kind of changing things around a little bit. But just two scriptures this morning that we want to look at. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 14, and then Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And let's just look at them and see what uh, God has to say. And then, um, well, then we'll see what he has to say. So Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 14. How does this work? How does this self-control work? How do I have self-control? So, have you ever, let me ask this, have you ever known someone who just had an insatiable appetite for God? They were just, you know, Bible study, all over it. Prayer, mmm. Time of worship, right there. Conference, yeah, I went to it. New book out, already read it. Right? I mean, they've got, they've got 60 podcasts on their iPod of all different preachers they're listening to every day. They're just hungry, 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 starving for the things of God. Have you ever known anybody like that? 
It's a rare person, isn't it? I would love it if that was all of us. I would love it. I want to be that man. Can I tell you, that's my heart's desire. That's my prayer lately. My prayer lately is, Jesus, I want your presence more than anything else. I don't care. I want your presence, Jesus. I want to know it. I want to live in it. You know, um, I was writing last night, is God in heaven or is heaven in God? Like, God's too big for heaven, isn't he? You can't contain God. So is heaven in God? So the closer I am to God, the closer I am to heaven? I mean, is that, would that stand to reason? I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud with you. I hope that's safe. Like, I, I, I want to I pursue, I want to know, I want to enjoy the presence of Jesus and carry that with me everywhere I go. And I've been praying in the Lord's Prayer lately. You know, Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus is always interceding for us before the Father, right? He's always praying, always. Right now, this very second, Jesus is praying before the Father. So that means when you and I come to prayer, Jesus says, he invites you and me, and he says, hey, why don't we go to our Father? Let's go to our Father and pray. So when I come to prayer, I actually come first to Jesus because Jesus is the mediator. I come first to Jesus. Jesus Let's go to our Father, and let's talk to Him now in this moment, right? And He's our Father, and He's in heaven, and He's glorious, and He's awesome, and, and He's holy. Hallowed be thy name, right? You're holy, holy. And then, I want your will to be done, and I want your kingdom to come. I want your will, Lord, in my life. You're holy, God. This morning, I started praying, Jesus, I want to know the Father the way that you do. I think Jesus kind of has a good relationship with the Father. So I want to know the Father the way that Jesus knows the Father. Don't you? Oh, yeah. You know, the think, to think, as I said at communion earlier, that Jesus was separated from God on the cross and it killed him, you know? I think, man, I spend so much of my life just separated from God and I don't even think about it. I don't want that. I want, I want to be as close to the Father as Jesus is. And I got to believe that's possible because Jesus died to make it possible. I mean, Jesus actually said that in the book of John. He said, I and my Father will come to him. We'll make our home with you. I mean, he desires to pick out curtains with you and me. He wants to make a home with us, you know. And it's like he invites you and I into that relationship. So the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have a perfect, beautiful wonderful, intimate relationship, do they not? And guess what? It's an open relationship. Like the Trinity's not a clique. <laughs> they're, they're not a clique. Like it's, a, it's a, an all-are-welcome sign. Go ahead. You can join in this party if you would like. They put out the sign, you know? And Jesus actually died to make that possible because before that, you and I couldn't do that. You get it, right? In the tabernacle, there was this big, thick curtain between everybody else and the Holy of Holies, and nobody could go in there at all. But then Jesus died, and that curtain got ripped, right? So now there's this welcome sign right out there. The Trinity says, hey, look, we ain't a clique, and you guys can all come in, anybody. Jesus died to make that possible. 
So I got to think, Lord, I want that. I want to join right in that party right there. And that brings us to Romans chapter 6. Not really, but here it is. So Romans chapter 6, that was a, okay, thank you. That's just where my heart's at lately. I hope you hear that. Um, So Romans chapter 6, verse 11. He says, in the same way, so we're talking about how do I, how do I develop self-control? How do I have this? And what does this look like in my life? In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let it. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. In the same way, look at verse 11. Let me just quickly walk through it. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. What does he mean by in the same way? In what same way? Well, that's verse 10. Verse 10 says, The death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So Jesus was crucified, right? He died, and then he rose again. And he says, now in the same way that Jesus died and rose again, in that same way, you count yourself dead to sin. Die to sin, and then rise again to live for Jesus, right? In the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin. Sin is dead to me. You know, when I, 27 years ago, when I said I do to Karis, I, in essence, made every other woman on the planet dead to me. I mean, you girls are all nice, right? But I'm sorry, you're not my wife. <laughs> right? So, four, four billion great women, and all of them, dead to me because I'm a one-woman guy. It doesn't mean that you cease existing. It just means that to me, it's off limits because I have given my heart and my soul and my life to one woman. She's, I'm hers. So sin is the same way. It's a picture of what happens with sin. Guys, when you give your heart to Jesus, sin doesn't stop existing Sin's still around. We live in a pretty simple world. It's pretty broken. It's just that sin is now forever dead to you. Sin is the old girlfriend. It's the old boyfriend. And you're really done with that one. I mean, that, that one, that old girlfriend, boyfriend, sin was abusive. Sin was rotten. It didn't do you any good, right? And we broke up, and it, he's dead to me, sin is. That's the first one. That's verse 11. Verse 12. Since sin is dead to you, therefore, do not let sin. Who's in control of that? You are not a victim of sin. You're not. Before Jesus, you were. Those those who are not in Christ don't have a choice. They're in sin. In Christ, You have a choice. That's the difference between you and the rest of the world. You have a choice as to whether or not you will allow sin to reign in your life. 
Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Sure, it's got appetites. Yeah, it's crying out to be fed and this and that. But no, I'm in charge of it. It's not in charge of me. And then verse 13 gets very practical. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin, any part, but rather offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. This sounds goofy, I know, and I do not mean to sound goofy, so please forgive me for sounding goofy, but it's very important. Have you ever stopped to dedicate every part of your body to God? Every single part of your body to God. You say, that sounds goofy. Right, that's what I said. It does sound goofy, doesn't it? We think in general terms, but I mean specific. You get right down specific. My eyes, my nose, my mouth, my private parts, all of my body, every part is dedicated to God to be used for His purposes and His purposes alone. See, I've never done that before. I would encourage you to do that. Lord, again, right? Who is the master? Is sin your master or is Jesus your master? Right? There's a new sheriff in town, right? And, and sin has been deposed. And when I was given into sin, man, all my appetites reigned. Anything I wanted just went, you know? I just I slept with whoever, drank whatever, ate whatever, went wherever, whenever, whatever I wanted to do. Whatever I felt like doing, I kind of dragged along by my feelings and my lusts and my desires and my appetites, just dragging me everywhere I went, right? But now... I'm done being dragged around by my appetites. I have a new master. His name is Jesus. I do not let sin reign in my mortal body anymore. And all of my body parts belong to him. And all of my body parts are to be used for him and for his glory alone. And then verse 14. Sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace to understand what that last statement means, we've got to go to Titus 2.11. And so if you would please turn there, Titus 2.11, it's a few, go back in your Bibles a few, pa- a few pages from Romans, and you'll go to First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, keep going a couple of books. You'll find Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, and I promise I'll end with this. Chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God. So remember, Romans ended with, uh, You're not under law, but under grace. Remember that? So now we're continuing with that. What is this? Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Look at that. Grace teaches you to say no, hmm. to live self-controlled, there's that word, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, we're eager to do what is good. The grace of God teaches you to say no. How does that work? Well, 
Here's the difference between the law and between grace. Law says, you're an idiot. You don't have any control over nothing. Forgive my bad English. The hillbilly's coming out. That's what the law says. The law says, you can't do this, so what we're going to do is this. We're going to set up a bunch of rules for you to follow, and you're probably going to blow it, and when you do, we're going to smack you around really good. And that's supposed to keep you from doing it again. We're just going to beat you up. That's the law. How well does that work? Right? Grace is completely different. Grace says, Jesus paid for this. We just celebrated that. You didn't earn this. He bought this for you. So now you're at the table of God. You don't deserve to be there, but you're there because Jesus bought your ticket to be there. And not only are you there, but God says, you're my son, you're my daughter. I make you my child, right? Grace. And grace says, when you blow it, and you probably will blow it, and when you blow it, guess what? You're better than that. You're like, you're royalty. Royal blood flows through your veins. It's kind of like, do you know, I can't remember, what's the guy's name in England, the guy that's going to be king someday? What's it? I, any, Andrew, you know, he's married to the lady, she's pregnant again. I don't, what's that? William, I don't keep track of the royal family. But let's say that, that Prince William, right? Is he a prince? If William, if, you know, suddenly the National Enquirer finds him, they get a picture of him, behind some Italian restaurant, dumping in, dive, dumpster diving for some old spaghetti and some stale bread, and he's back there eating it up. You'd say, uh, Prince William, um, why aren't you at the castle eating filet mignon? Like, why are you dumpster diving, right? We all know that the prince should not be dumpster diving because he's the prince, right? And so... When you and I sin, grace goes, what are you doing here? You're so much better than this. You're the prince. You you know that the castle's all yours? You know that, right? Like, this all yours. The table, the king, he's your dad. It's all yours. So, the Christian, the Christian who is given to carnal desire has forgotten his royal descent. When you give in to carnal appetites, you've forgotten that you are royalty. And one of the fastest ways to get back out of that dumpster is to remember who Jesus died to make you. You're royalty. That dumpster is not where you belong, my friend. That website is not where you belong. That is not you anymore. It used to be you, not you anymore. That's grace. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to, to feed my appetite for God. And when I feed my appetite for God, it keeps every one of my other appetites in check. And that's called self-control. Self-control is what keeps you and I from imploding on ourselves and being driven along by all of our other appetites my appetite for God. I want to ask you this morning, how strong is your appetite for God? 
Are you hungry for God? Don't make the mistake of judging your hunger for God by some story that you heard. I do that all the time, and it's just so defeating. I hear a story about some great saint who prays five hours a day, and I say, oh, I should probably pray five hours a day if I'm going to be really hungry for God. I hope you're not hearing me say that. I'm just asking you, are you hungry for God? And are you feeding your hunger for God? Feed it. You know, the the key to always being hungry is to always eating. The key to never thirsting is ever thirsting. That's what John Piper said. I love that quote. The key to never thirsting is ever thirsting. I'm always thirsty for more of God. I want more. Sign me up. I want to feed that appetite. And the more I feed that appetite for God, the more the other appetites are kept in check. And that's called self-control. Let's pray, okay? Lord, I, I'm just so grateful. So grateful that I have this opportunity to be in relationship with you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm so thankful. Thankful that I get to be called your little brother. What a privilege that is. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for, for uh, adopting us into your family Thank you for making us yours, God. I'm so grateful for that gift. I'm grateful, Lord, that my citizenship is in heaven. Lord, I, I hear rumors of economic collapse and meltdown here and problems there. And hmm, I'm just reminded I live in an unshakable kingdom with an unquestionable king who has unlimited resources. And the king is my dad. <laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you. What a privilege it is to be a part of your family. And Lord, I do confess to you this morning that uh, at times I have allowed, I have permitted sin to reign in my mortal body. I have. I've, but I'm responsible for that. I made that choice. And Lord, today I choose to give it to you. Every part of me is yours. And I thank you, Lord, for the grace of knowing who you've made me to be. Hmm. What a privilege it is to be a prince in the kingdom of God. So, Jesus, I revel in you. I'm grateful for you today. In your holy name, amen.